0: many of you remember a while ago and in the churches where you've attended or been a part of that you had a thing called either a fall or spring revival? And what happened at those revivals? People came and people's lives were changed. The idea would be that you either have it, sometimes it was a week long, sometimes it was three nights, four nights, whatever it might be. Uh, and I grew up in a church that had a revival every, every year. And I remember distinctly a revival in the early 90s. I do not remember the speaker, but he's one of those fire and brimstone preachers. I mean, you know, you, you definitely wanted to make sure that you had your ducks in a row before you went to service. And uh, so he's preaching, and he's given this illustration that he had been in a church somewhere here in the southeast. And um, uh, he noticed that there were some teenagers, uh, a teenage boy sitting on the back row of the church. And he was there with his girlfriend and another couple of friends. And they were snickering in the midst of the sermon, um, making fun of him, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, you could tell that they weren't taking it very seriously. Now, I want to give this kind of notation. Um, that's not true of ours. Ours are attentive. Uh, but, and it wouldn't be necessarily true of all teenagers. It just so happens in this particular scenario. They were teenagers. They weren't listening. They weren't paying attention. And not only were they not listening or paying attention, but they were making fun of him, a lot of other things, the things he was saying, to the point that they begin to make a commotion. Um, and he being a good speaker, so to speak, he doesn't draw attention or doesn't want to draw attention to the fact that they're being rude or inconsiderate. And so on his way home, uh, on that evening after the service, he's telling this story. And uh, he says that he came across uh, an intersection, and about uh, a good five or 600 feet from the intersection, there's, there's lights uh, you know, going all over the place or whatnot. And you can see that there's police cars and a fire truck passes by whatnot. And so he knows there's been an accident. So he gets out of his car. Uh, He travels down to where this accident took place. And it is a car he doesn't recognize. But there are people inside of it. And the car is on fire. The fire has not consumed the inner compartment of the vehicle. But there there are people screaming. Uh, And he tells this story very vividly. I'll never forget this story. And he said it was at that point... He said, I looked, and I recognized that there was a boy whose head was hanging out of the window. He was screaming, and he was calling out, tell that preacher, and the entire car blew up. You didn't expect me to tell a story like that, and I didn't expect to hear a story like that when I was sitting on the fourth row of a church on a Tuesday evening uh, umpteen years ago, but I can tell you that that story... I can't tell you what the story... I can't tell you what his gospel lesson was. that even, I can't tell you what scripture he went through. But he was giving a real life story. And I know the thrust of the message was... Are you ready? Now you can look at that story and say... Well that's fear tactics, that's manipulation. The problem is the story is true. The story happened. The problem is that there are people today... That we know, perhaps some of us... In this very room who are not ready... And so we think, sort of like probably what that teenager thought when he left that service on that Tuesday evening, that he had his whole life before him. And it's not just teenagers or children. Adults are like this too. We think when it comes down to it, when, there's, when, when we have time, we have more energy, more effort, when we can be more committed because we have all these things competing for our minds and hearts and schedules attention that we will become committed. The problem is the boy did not plan on having an accident That night. The boy did not plan to meet Jesus that night. And I only, you know, one of the things I wonder is what was the boy saying when the car blew up? Tell that preacher what? Tell that preacher that what he preached about was wrong. Tell that preacher I should have paid more attention. Tell that preacher that I'm what? And so so many of us in our own lives, in our own story, in our own journey, we never plan for life's accidents. We never plan for life's events. And suddenly we're drawn in the midst of something that we did not see on the horizon. Sometimes those are events like an accident. Other times they're events uh, that happen in our family. We just didn't see it coming. And before we know it, we've been broadsided. But when we look in the Gospel of Mark as well as the other Gospels all throughout the New Testament, whether the Apostle Paul's writing, whether it's Jesus' words himself, the one simple truth is that Jesus is coming back. Now, a lot of us that are more... ...in tune with Scripture, so to speak, or we think we're in tune with Scripture... ...we will debate about such things, about how Jesus is going to come back... ...when is the thousand-year reign, is the rapture a real thing... ...all these other things that we could argue about and, and, and talk about or whatnot... ...but I'm not going to go there this morning because it really doesn't matter how. It matters who, namely Christ, and it matters are we ready. One thing I'll note, uh, first point today... In the Gospel of Mark in chapter 13, with 20, verses 24 and following, you know it says in those days, following that distress, what distress is he talking about? Well, if you look in verse 20 of the passage uh, and follow it, says, If the Lord had not cut shut those day, short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At the time, if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. And then in verse 22, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, they will deceive even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time because in those days following that distress, and then he goes into this whole description about how the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. What is that all saying? It's saying this, when Christ comes back, the universe is going to be changed. When Christ makes His presence known in the universe, the entire universe is going to be radically changed. Why should we find this surprising? For those of us who have followed Jesus and committed our lives to Him, we know that any time Christ has entered our presence, our lives have been changed. They have been radically transformed. Even, even for those who want to resist the, 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 the work of God and resist the, the work of the Holy Spirit, they will take notice of the fact that something, something has changed. There is something, an aura or something, a mood or some kind of experience. There's something that's trying to get my attention. The universe is going to be changed. What does the Bible say in verses 24 and 25? It says, the sun won't shine. The moon won't give its light and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. When Christ comes, it changes everything. When Christ intersects our lives, it changes everything. For some of us, when we go back and we look and we peel back the journey of faith and our story, we discover that our story has been radically changed at the point that Jesus Christ entered into it. Whether we were 5 years old or 10 years old or 50 years old or 100 years old, when Christ's presence reveals Himself in the flesh, in the person, in the work of the Holy Spirit, our lives are never, never ever the same. Christ's presence shakes the very foundations ...of the world and the foundation of who we are. It's all about the intersection that we have. Sometimes that intersection is a result of a dramatic experience... ...where something happens and we leave that... Amazed, We leave that challenged and so we're given an opportunity to to think about where our life is, to think about where our journey has brought us to and to make necessary corrections so that we're perhaps more faithful or more in tune of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The universe is going to be changed because Christ is coming. The other thing I want to point out today is he says uh, in these very verses that all that remains is His Word. It is eternal. If you look, He says, At that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and the ends of the heavens. Learn this from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. His words are eternal. Now, if we piggyback on what we looked at several weeks ago in John chapter 1, we know that the word has become flesh and has made His dwelling place among us, or His Word has become flesh, and it's moved into our neighborhood. And as a result of Christ moving into our lives, our neighborhood is radically changed. The way we see people is radically changed. The way we look at people is radically different. We don't look at people the way they are, but through the Spirit and the hope of Christ, we see people in the greatest potential. Therefore, we don't have the opportunity to give up on anybody or anyone, we have the opportunity to make sure that we're doing our part. Are we ready? All that remains is His Word. It is eternal. The Word that is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'll say about His Word. His Word is reliable. His Word is sufficient. And God's Word does not contain truth. It is truth. I choose not to use the words that often some people will use about infallibility and inerrancy. Why? Because they're buzzwords. And if you talk to individuals, you never know what they mean by it. I choose to allow God's Word to say what it says about itself. It is reliable. It is sufficient. It does not contain truth. It is the truth. It is the truth whether or not you and I choose to believe it our ability to believe or to pursue God does not make His Word true or the Gospel true or Christ more effective. Christ is effective. He stands alone. He doesn't need us. He chooses to have us, to use us as a part of His great plan. The other thing when you look at this passage, some of us look at this and we get caught up in the elect. Who the elect are? Am I in the elect or am I in the non-elect? Focus on the message of what he's saying you and I don't have to worry about who's in the elect and who's not in the elect what we need to pursue is to make sure that we are ready are we ready for the coming of Christ the universe is going to be changed all that remains is his word are you and I Ready in verse 33 of the passage, he says, "Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when what that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with an assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at the dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone: Watch, be alert." Be on your guard. And one of the beautiful things about this passage, it's not that we're supposed to be alert and lie in waiting, just kind of sitting and having a siesta in the afternoon and watching for Christ to return outside of a window. He says that the owner of the house will leave his servants, one to keep watch, and others to do what? Their assigned tasks. What are the assigned tasks? To make sure that the household is in order when Christ comes. You know, if someone tells me that they want to drop by my home or tells you they're going to drop by your home, what do you do? You get ready for them. Now, if you're like me, you take everything out of the den and throw it in the bedroom. That's what we do. Because we think to ourselves, the person coming is not going to be going in our bedroom. At least they shouldn't be. And so they're not going to be going in our bedroom, so it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But you see, here's the thing. Are we really ready if we have to run through our house grabbing things and throw it into a closet or throw it into a downstairs room or throw it into the bedroom? No, we're not. We're not prepared because Christ, when He comes, He's not interested in you entertaining Him in the foyer. He's not interested in you entertaining Him in the living room. He's not interested in you entertaining Him in the den. He is going to be in the sum total of the entire household. Are our households in order? Are they prepared for the coming? ...of the Son of Man. Because it tells us that when Christ comes... ...the universe is going to be changed. It tells us when Christ comes... ...that quote... ...the sun will be darkened... ...the moon will not give its light... ...the stars will fall... ...the heavenly bodies will be shaken... ...and that time people will see the Son of Man... ...coming in clouds with great power and glory. Listen, you can't wait until the trump sounds, to get ready. You can't wait to get your household in order. And see, it goes much deeper than merely our household, because here's the thing. It's not about using pledge in the dust of your home. It's not about mopping floors or vacuuming. It's about soul searching. Is your household ready for the coming of Christ? Now you may say, well... This is all well and good, but I just don't think this applies today because I, 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 don't, I, don't, I just don't think He's coming today. I don't think He's coming tomorrow. There's too many good things happening. You know, the church is not persecuted nearly as what I would think it would be. And here's the thing. You may be right. But what if we're wrong? The other thing is, you're basing your whole action on the presupposition that you're going to be here when He returns at the end of the end. Because if you'll notice in the Scripture here, it says that, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Is He meaning that generation? Obviously not. What is the generation? See, if we look at time, you and I look at that, and skeptics look at that passage of Scripture and say, this generation, well, that's an example of where Scripture's wrong. Scripture's not wrong. We often misunderstand what he's saying. To God, time, what's a day? What's a million years? It's all the same. The generation could be all the spans of generations over the season of time. And obviously, the generation has not passed away until the time of his coming. But you and I, we want to think to ourselves that we have plenty of time. We're waiting on the coming of the Son of Man. And here's the reality... The boy that died in the 1980s in that car, in that fire, as the car blew up, as he sat and he had opportunity in a house of worship, but he wasn't listening, he wasn't ready, and then he's crying out on his final plea, and we don't know what he was crying out. Do you think he planned on Sunday morning or Monday morning or Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon when he had been asked to come to that revival, do you think as he sat that moment back there on that pew, do you think as he was making fun of what was being said, Do you think that he was making fun when he got into his car and he turned it on? He turned on his air condition, he put on his music, and he drove down the highway only to crash three miles away from the church. Do you think he had everything planned? No. He thought like most of us think. We have plenty of time. And the reality is we don't know. Because Christ's coming to us may be different than His radical coming in the universe. We might meet Jesus long before we ever anticipated meeting Him. Have you ever had an experience that kind of catches your attention, that makes you think, Ooh, that was a close call? I've shared with you, or at least some of you on a Sunday evening, about being on a, on a highway... In in Louisiana, Veterans Highway is pretty busy, uh, near between Metairie and New Orleans, and traffic is busy all the time. All the major malls and stores are along that thoroughfare. And I'm in the left lane, and I'm traveling down the road mid-afternoon after lunch, probably about 2 o'clock or so. Still, it's busy. And all of a sudden, I get this voice in my head. It says, move over to the right lane. And so I move over to the right lane. In the split second, I moved to the right lane. The car in front of me slammed into the car in front of it. The car behind me slammed into it. I had to pull off the side of the road and regain my composure. Now why? Because in a split second, my life flashed before me. I would have been a sardine can in that wreck. Now it look it's you know it's funny to think about but it's really not. We don't know when we are going to meet Jesus. We just don't know. And the only thing that we can do in response to what he said and what he's promised to do is to be ready. What does it mean to be ready for Christ to come? It means that you have your life in order. And the only way that you and I are going to have our lives in order is not based on what we're doing in cleaning it up. It's about surrendering it, committing to Christ and saying, you know what, I need to let go of the control that I have in this journey of faith. I need to allow God to control my journey, my present ...and my future, and I'm going to commit and I'm going to surrender my heart to Him. There is no other way by which, through which that you and I can be saved. There is no other way for us to go to heaven other than through the person of Jesus Christ... ...by committing our hearts, our lives to Him... If you want to know whether you're a committed follower of Christ, look at your obedience track record. If you're not being obedient to His Word, if you're not being obedient to what He has revealed through the Holy Spirit, then you and I can safely say, well, we're not not ready. Readiness, the, the, the litmus test of readiness, is the fruit that you and I are producing as a result of committing our lives to Him. Are you ready? Being ready means we've committed our lives to Christ. But not only that you've committed your lives to Christ... ...that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Notice I'm not saying baptized by water. Water, again, water baptism... ...is an act that you and I do... ...as a result of what God has done in our hearts and minds. It is a public way to demonstrate the faith commitment... ...that we have made to Christ. Being baptized, again doesn't save you. The water baptism doesn't save you. What saves you is the act of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart as we commit to Him. It's solely based on what He is doing and has done through the person of Jesus Christ as revealed through the Holy Spirit. So are we ready? We're ready if we're committed to Christ. We're ready if we have been spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit. And here's the other thing. We are ready when we recognize that that's not the end of the faith journey. That is merely the beginning. That all along the faith journey, when we accept Christ, when we begin pursuing Him, when we surrender our heart and mind to Him, that that puts us on a journey of faith. And we're in the process of becoming more and more and more like the Christ that we serve, like the Christ that we follow. We become His disciples. Fully engaged in His Word. Fully engaged in what He's called us to do. And we, like the people in this passage of Scripture... Are not only willing to talk about the assigned tasks that we've been given or the spiritual gift that we've been given, but we'll not only recognize our spiritual giftedness, but we will begin serving in that spiritual giftedness. We will begin producing fruit as a result of the gift that He has given us. And we will see progress not only in our faith, we'll see progress not only in our journey, but we'll come to the realization that the world, the world is much smaller than we imagined. And being a follower of Christ, while it has its ups and its downs, while there's good days and there are bad days, we always have the perspective that we're on a trajectory towards wholeness. It's not about being a good person. It's not about looking apart. It's about completely being overwhelmed by the power of Christ that comes in glory and power and authority that the universe is going to be changed. The question is, have we been changed? Have you and I been changed? Changed. We've been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I see your shining faces every week. But have we been changed? Not changed by the words of the pastor. Not changed by the words of a Sunday school lesson. Changed by the almighty perfect power of Jesus Christ. Who loves you, who wants to have nothing but the best for you. Uh, As I've watched and I've seen people in snippets as they talk about religion, people will often say, I don't know how uh, anybody can believe in a God that sends people to hell. And what I'll be very quickly to say over and over again is, God doesn't send you and me to hell. We make a choice, we send ourselves to hell by not being ready, by not committing to Christ, by not flourishing in His will. When you and I choose, when you and I choose to be disobedient, when we choose to go a different way that is the only way that's through Christ, we have thus made a decision about where our allegiance lies. The beautiful thing is, until Christ comes in the clouds or until you're caught up in that moment of meeting Jesus as a result of old age or heart attack or stroke or accident or whatever it might be, until that time there's opportunity after opportunity and after opportunity. And the thing is, it's not that he wants to give you months and months and months and years and years and years and decades and decades and decades to make a decision. But he wants to prepare you for the kingdom that's to come. We focus so much on what we look like, how we smell, how people perceive us. We focus on who is on the in crowd and who's on the out crowd. We will argue and say, well, if you pursue this or you pursue that, you're not in His kingdom. The problem is that we never, ever, ever, ever put ourselves in the position of being lost. We're saved. and anybody else that disagrees with our agenda is lost. No. we're not saved by our agenda. We're not saved by what we believe. We are saved by the sovereign act of Christ, his salvific move on the cross, his work and his salvation that he's offered in the cross event, and the power of the resurrection, it's him. He defines time. He defines our lives. We've been given every opportunity. Are you ready? In closing today, let me tell you how personal this gets to our congregation. I'm not going to call the individual's name out, but someone in our congregation today was uh, traveling from Charlotte. And coming back here to Elizabethton. And, you know, my favorite way to travel when I go to Charlotte, as long as I don't have my family with me, is Jonas Ridge. I feel like, uh, you know, even in my little blue car, it's like a sports car. And so I like rounding those curves, you know, I feel feel like I'm doing like a car commercial. Uh, It's important that I'm ready, you know what I'm saying? And and not stupid, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, so I like rounding those curves. Well, this person was coming from Charlotte, had left Morganton, right outside of Morganton, and was making uh, his or her way up the mountain when a car who was with somebody was texting in that vehicle and was in this person's lane. This person swerved, took 30 feet of guardrail out, went over the embankment, down down that embankment, flipped upside down, he was in a convertible, and they're here today. I'm going to tell you something. If that's not a wake-up call... And if that doesn't send chills, because here's the thing, any one of you, any one of us could have had that experience. So the question is, are we ready? This week, many of you will probably travel to Murfreesboro for the basketball game. Traffic will be even more intense on that road as people make their way to support Elizabethan in its venture for state championship. Chances are, there'll be a fender bender somewhere. Hopefully not, but it's possible that there could be a major accident. And somebody could lose their life. And that's fine as long as that person, we can't identify their name. They're distant to us and from us. But what happens if it hits our community? Oh, that's bad. What happens if it hits our church family? Oh, that's even worse. But what happens when it hits our home? Suddenly, suddenly, it changes the whole playing, the rules of engagement. Suddenly, we're caught up with something that we never expected to happen. Do I think there's going to be a wreck? I pray to God, no. But you and I could simply go out here and listen. You don't have to go far, just go right here to this you know, this little thoroughfare right here, the crosswalk. Uh, you know, people are going 30 and 40 miles an hour in just a little strip of land right here. You walk out in front of the car, you to meet your maker. I'll be doing your funeral. Are we ready? Are we ready? Not do you have your den ready, not that you have hors d'oeuvres to serve. For the person that comes to die. Not that your four years clean. Not that your toilets are clean or your sink is clean. Are you ready? Have you committed yourself to Christ? Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And you're in the process of discovering and discerning your giftedness to serve His kingdom. The universe is going to be changed. He's going to come with power and glory and authority. He's going to turn this world upside down in the same way, in so many ways, that He has radically changed our lives as followers of Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to You today, and as You work in this time of invitation, as we recognize Your truth and Your work in our lives, And now it's decision time. And the question, the simple question is, are we ready? Are we spiritually ready to meet Jesus Christ face to face? It's not a yes or a no or an indifference. It's emphatic yes or no. It's not a maybe. Do we know definitively? This is the time. As God speaks, as God moves, as we respond. May you find us faithful. For those who need to accept Christ... May we accept Him as personal Lord and Savior for those that need to recommit themselves to His will, to His word. He does not stand today to judge us. He stands today with loving compassion. and He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For those of you who are burdened with so many things and so many issues, just come to Jesus. This is the invitation. To respond, to reflect, for Christ to move. It's in His name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we worship, if you're here this morning and you need to accept Christ, you need to get yourself ready, you need to recommit, once you come, once you respond.